Thank you so much for joining us for the Summit Podcast. This message was produced with you in mind, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has shown himself faithful in your life. Email us at mystory@summittogether.com. Now, um, if you've been coming to the Summit for a while, you know that I like to laugh and make jokes, and I like to have fun. Um, but there are times that we have to address things or talk about things that are a little heavier and a little weightier. And, and I want to take just a moment. We're not going to spend much time, but I want to take just a moment to address, uh, just share some thoughts with you about um, some of the things we've seen in our nation over the last week. If you've watched the news or paid attention at all, uh, I'm sure that you could agree it's been a tumultuous week for our nation, for the people of our nation. Um, anytime that innocent people are killed, it is a tragedy. And it does not matter what their skin color is. It does not matter what their uniform color is. If, they, if an innocent person dies, it is tragic and it's heartbreaking. And we, as the people of God, should mourn uh, a tragedy like that. Um, and it's easy for us to distance ourselves and say, well, things like that don't happen in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Those things happen in places like uh, Louisiana or, or Texas or Minnesota. Uh, but the truth is, it's not a geographical issue that people in bigger metropolitan areas have to deal with, but we don't have to. Um, because it's not a geographical issue. It's, 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 not even, um, it's not even an issue of skin color uh, or, or uniform color. It is an issue of our heart. And, and when people come together, if there's more than one person in a place, there's room for conflict. And, and you can recognize this even in relationships, even in marriage, and even in your friendship. If there are two people in the same place, they probably aren't gonna agree on everything. And there's room for conflict. And conflict is not a bad thing. Conflict can be a really healthy thing because many times conflicts help, help lead us to grow when conflict is handled in a godly way. But the problem comes when we don't submit our conflict to Christ and that conflict becomes division. And that's what we have begun to see in, in our nation. Now, one of the things we see in scripture and one of the things we see specifically in the book of James that we're going through right now is that there is no room for division in the church. Uh, that James says, I don't care what your differences are. I don't care what your, uh, what your ethnic differences are. I don't care what your economic differences are. I don't care what any of those things are. We lay those things down for the glory of God and for the good of the church. And, and one thing we have to understand is that our responsibility as a church, and not just a church, but the church, our responsibility is to push back against evil and to push back against darkness wherever it happens. So to push back against darkness in the world and push back against injustice in the world, but it's also our responsibility, and this is a little harder, for us to push back against darkness and evil and injustice in our hearts. Because that's really where it begins. And it's easy for us to go, well, hey, that's, that's a Texas thing, or that's a Louisiana thing, or whatever it might be. But the truth is, that's a human being thing. And we each need to confront um, issues like racism in, in ourselves. We need to ask ourselves, okay, where have I made room in my heart for an issue like that? Or uh, when we're quick to judge things because of what the political leaders of our party say, uh, we wanna be really careful about that. And we wanna approach things in a way that we say, okay, what does God say about this? What does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about injustice? What does the Bible say about loving people well? Because this is what our responsibility is. I heard uh, Billy Graham say this one time. He said, it's God's responsibility to judge. It's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to convict. And he said, it's our responsibility to love. And so I wanna encourage you today, 
Uh, it's our responsibility to love people really well, no matter what their uh, ethnicity is, no matter what their economic class is, no matter who they are. Uh, we have made a commitment as a church, we're gonna love people really, really well, no matter what they look like, no matter what their background is. And, and that's, I think that reflects the heart of Christ. And so I wanna encourage you today uh, to just make a choice that we're gonna love people well, that we're gonna extend grace and expend, extend the benefit of the doubt, uh, that we're gonna reserve judgmental and hateful language, and we're gonna put that aside for the glory of God. Um, it's, easy to, um, it's easy to look at a situation like this. It's easy to look at a situation like this and feel a little unsettled and feel a little nervous about what our society looks like and what the future holds. And uh, believers have been struggling with that kind of feeling for a long time. In fact, in John chapter 16, Jesus talks to his followers and he's trying to explain to them what's to come. And he's trying to help them understand that he is gonna be going away, but he explains to them, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit who's the comforter to you. I'm sending the Holy Spirit for you. And then uh, as he's walking through this, the things that are to come with them, he finishes with this, this thought in verse 33 of John chapter 16. And Jesus says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Um, there was a, a headline on CNN a few days ago that said, who will save us? And I thought, that's, that's stupid. <laughs> right? I mean, no matter who's in office or who's living in the White House, they can't save us. Uh, policy can't change us or save us. The only thing that can save us is when our hearts are gripped by the love of Christ. That's what changes us. That's what changes the nation. So I just wanna encourage you today, take heart in the fact that, yes, we're gonna walk through tribulation. Yes, we're gonna walk through difficulties, but we're not walking through those difficulties alone. And I'm, I'm encouraged by the fact that Jesus says um, that he has overcome the world. See, that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Uh, our, our citizenship is of heaven. And Jesus says, hey, don't, you don't have to worry about the world. I've already overcome the world. So we just anchor ourselves in Jesus Christ. We trust him and love on people the best we can and then he'll sort everything else out. So I just wanna encourage you today, um, love people well. Uh, watch what you say on Facebook, on social media before you pass judgment, before you start spouting nonsense. Be careful about what you say and do. And that also fits really nicely with our message today. Um, we're continuing our series in the book of James. Um, and I love the book of James and really this thought does fit with this because one of the things James talks about over and over and over is uh, the difference between the church and the world and how the church and the world should think differently, should process things differently. Um, that, that we as Christians should live out our faith. It shouldn't just be something we talk about, but it should be something we actually do. Uh, and, and then finally, he, he also talks about unity in the, in the body, that that. All these people are very different within the church, but he's saying, hey, we need to set those things aside to build the kingdom because there's some things that are more important um, than all this other stuff and, and the things that are more important are Christ. And so he walks through this and we see this over and over and over. And the passage we're gonna talk about today, we're gonna start in James chapter three, verse one. But what we're gonna look at today is our, our mouth or our tongue, the words we say and the weight they have. Uh, how many of you have ever said something stupid? Has anybody ever said something stupid? Yeah, good. And some of you are liars because you didn't raise your hand. I've never said anything stupid, Mel. That's stupid that you would say that. So every one of us has said stupid things before, right? Um, I'm no exception. In fact, I've probably trumped all of you. Um, 
I've said lots of stupid stuff. When I was a 20-year-old intern, I was interning with uh, my home church in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, in that area. And uh, the church I was working with was, it was a formal church. Um, and, you know, they had the big steeple and um, they had the big chairs up on the stage, like the big thrones they looked like up on the stage. And we had to wear suits all the time. And, um, and so I... I this particular Sunday night, they had asked me to do the announcements, which they don't let interns do that on Sunday morning because we might mess it up. So they let me do it on Sunday night. So I'm a 20-year-old young man. I feel called to ministry. I'm, I'm going through Bible college. I'm working with this church. And it's my home church, so I know these people, and I know the pastor. And so they have me get up on a Sunday night and give announcements. So it's my turn, and I get up from the throne. I come up, and I'm, I'm sure I'm using a pastor voice because I think at that time I thought you had to have a pastor voice, you know, like... You talk normally, but then when you get behind the stage, you talk like this. Hello, brothers and sisters. It's so good to see you tonight, right? And so I'm sure I was talking like that or something like that. And so I go through my announcements. And the last announcement I had to make was for um, our youth ministry. And we had um, what was a pretty good-sized youth ministry. But what we would do is once a month, all the churches in our geographic area of, of our denomination, it was called a section. So all these churches in our section would come together for a youth rally, for a one-night service, it'd be an hour, hour and a half, and, it, and we'd call it a rally, youth rally. And since it was a section, it was a sectional youth rally. So I get up, and I do my announcements, it's going glowingly. I mean, nobody's ever done announcements like I did announcements that night. It was fantastic. Lives were changed as I was telling them about all the activities of the church. And so I, I get to that portion, and I say, hey, and I want to remind all of our teenagers about our upcoming sectional youth rally that's happening this week. And I thought, did I say sectional? And I turned and looked at my youth pastor who's sitting behind me in one of the big thrones and his eyes were huge. And I thought, oh my gosh, I, I don't think I said what they thought I said, but I need to correct this. So I said, I'm sorry. What I meant to say was we've got a sexual youth rally coming up this week. And I enunciated it even better. And so as soon as I said it, I thought, oh my gosh, what have I done? I just ended my ministry career and hadn't even started yet, right? Like, no! And I was mortified. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, forget it, never mind. And like, I ran off the stage and hid. And so I went back and sat in the seat and like, oh no, like the whole time. And we had to sit on the stage the whole service. And so we're sitting there like, no, like, ah. Uh. The good news is there were more kids at that youth rally than ever before. It was record setting. Kids who weren't even Christians heard about it and came because they were like, I, I need to know more about this thing, whatever it is. So it was crazy. Uh, but I didn't do that intentionally, obviously. I, it was an accident. And we all say things sometimes that we regret. We all say things, uh, something slips out, and we, oh, man, I, I can't believe I said that. It was stupid. I made a mistake. And then we all make mistakes. And we see that in the Scripture. It bears this out. But, but the problem is that many of us say things that we shouldn't say and we intend to say them. We say things that are intentionally divisive or hurtful or damaging or destroying and we don't really care because we feel like we're justified because, well, we're just smarter than they are or we know more than they do or we're, we've got the moral high ground so we can say whatever we want. So we say things that are ridiculous or say things that are painful or hurtful and we justify them. And that's the problem. Because again, if we remember the context of what we're gonna be reading today, James was trying to build unity into a body that was divided. 
they were divided between people who had money and people who didn't have money. They were divided between all these different regions throughout uh, the known world at the time where the churches were scattered. And so he's trying to bring unity to very, very different people. And one of the things he makes clear is that our words matter when we wanna bring unity to a situation. So we'll pick it up in James chapter three, verse one. And this is what James says. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So what he's saying is, um, we've gotta watch our words, but it's, it's incredibly important. It's even more important if you're gonna be a teacher of the word, if you're gonna be someone who is leading and preaching and teaching, because we're gonna be held to a higher standard, and rightfully so, we should be held to a higher standard. But he says, it's not something you should just jump into. Because, um, because there's more weight to it. And so he said, just, just think about that. And then he goes on to say in verse two, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Now this should be a relief for us as Christians to see this and go, um, okay, we all stumble in many ways. We all make mistakes. We're all gonna blow it sometimes, Right? And it's not just some guy who's saying this. This is the, the James, the younger brother of Jesus, <laughs> right? So if the brother of Jesus can say, hey, we're all gonna mess up sometimes, doesn't that make you feel a little bit better? To go, okay, I don't have to have, I don't, I'm not gonna be on my A game all the time. Yes, I'm gonna do my, the best I can, but there are gonna be times that I mess up or I slip up or say something or do something. And it just gives us some space. Now, we don't take advantage of that but we give ourselves some grace and go, okay, I can't be perfect. There is none perfect but Jesus, right? And my mom thinks I'm perfect, but I'm not. Don't tell her though, so I'm keeping her in the dark. He goes on to say in verse three, if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. And what we see here, and what I think we can lift from this, is that our words and our mouth gives direction to our lives. Now, you might be processing that a little bit, but that's what James is, I mean, that's what James is saying here. He's saying the bit in the mouth of the horse gives direction to this huge horse. This horse is powerful and strong, but you put a bit in its mouth and you're gonna direct it wherever you want it to go. A, a ship without a rudder is useless because the rudder gives that ship direction. It gives it purpose. And I'm telling you, that is the function of our, our mouth or our tongue. Our words give shape to the direction of our lives. Now, this is important to hear because our words are not magical, okay? Because some of you, you're like, if, if, it, if my words were magical, I would have won the lotto by now, right? So you're like, let me, let me win the lotto, let me win the lotto, let me win, I didn't win the lotto again, right? So it's not a matter of our words necessarily, but our words are a reflection of our heart. It's a reflection of our beliefs. So our beliefs and what's in us drives us and gives direction and gives shape to our future. So that's why we can say things like, um, I'll probably never have a healthy marriage. I'll probably always just have a marriage where we're just barely getting by. And it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy where you, you're doomed to have a marriage where you're probably always just getting by. And it's not because you said that, but it's because you believe that. Does that make sense? 
Because in our hearts, we believe, I guess I'll always live in debt. I'm just never getting out of this debt. So it's not a matter of our words being magical, but it's a matter of our belief system shaping our actions, shaping our behavior, shaping the way we think to put us in a position to always be in debt. Does that make sense? But likewise, the other is true. When we believe in a positive thing, when we believe that our God is good, when we believe that our God helps us, when we believe those things, it positions us to see those things happen in our lives. And our words reflect that. Um, Jesus even said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? He said, what is in us comes out of us. Why? Because it's a matter of what's going on in our heart, in our lives, that shapes our behavior and shapes our beliefs and shapes our actions and ultimately shapes our words. So he said, it's, it's really important to get your words right because if your words are right, it probably is a reflection on your heart being right as well. In verse five, the second half of verse five, it says, listen to this. Think about this imagery. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among the members, our members, straining, uh, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. That's strong language, isn't it? Uh, do, you think, do you think James felt strongly and passionately about the power of the tongue and the power of our words? And he makes it very clear. Um, uh, one tiny spark can level an entire forest. And that's what our tongue does. Our words can, can destroy and decimate and level people. But if you think about it this way, fire can be terribly damaging. I mean, there have been homes in our borough that have been burned to the ground, and it's crazy to see the damage that one fire will do. And typically, fires are accidental. Somebody leaves a candle burning, or they leave the burner on, or somebody flicks a cigarette out the window, and it gets in the median, and it's not intentional. Somebody accidentally sets a fire, and it levels things. Have you ever seen a fire that was good? A candle? A fire in your fireplace? It gives light and life and warmth in your home? That's the same thing with our words. Our words can give life and light and warmth and health. Our words can level and decimate and cause damage beyond what you can imagine. And typically, the, the words we use that are damaging are accidental. I, very few times in my life have I intentionally hurt someone with my words. It's typically been careless, thoughtless. I just say something stupid off the cuff and, and it hurts somebody beyond what I could have imagined. And that's why James uses fire as an illustration for our tongue because it can be used to destroy or it can be used to bring life. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter four in verse 29. He says this to the church. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. So I wanna stop there. He says, let no corrupting talk come from your mouths. Now you go, well, what is corrupting talk? That doesn't sound that bad. I mean, like that sounds worse than what I do. I mean, I just gossip a little. It's not that bad what I do. I mean, they deserve it. I mean, what I'm saying is mostly true. And yes, I'm, I'm talking about these people, but man, those people have not been very nice to me, so they deserve it. Well, yeah, yeah I'm, I mean, it's a little white lie, but it was 30 years ago. Who's gonna find out? See, we tend to exaggerate just a little bit about our athletic prowess in high school. Oh yeah, I could have played in the majors. 
I could have gone all the way, but my coach hated me. No, probably not. Yeah, you know that, that girl that's the model? Yeah, I dated her in high school. Mm, probably not. I had a 4.0 in high school. Mm, no, right? What do we do? Well, we go, oh, it's not that big a deal. I'm just, it's just a little bit. I'm just gonna, a little lie. I'm just gonna massage the truth. I'm just gonna exaggerate how successful I am or have been. It's not, who's it hurting? What's it gonna, what's the problem? The problem is, it's corrupt language. It's, it's not helping or edifying. You go, well, who's it hurting? It's hurting you. It's damaging you when you talk like that. So Paul tells the Ephesian church, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. He didn't say, unless it's justified or unless they really deserve it or unless you're really hurt. And if you're really hurt, then it's okay. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. And then he says this, but only such is good for building up <laughs> as fits the occasion that may give grace to those who hear it. This is what he says. This is the filter for our language. Our, our language should be filtered through the idea that everything we say needs to build up and give grace to those who hear it. And that's a tall order, isn't it? Because there are times that I, I, I hear something from somebody and I don't want to respond with language that builds up or gives grace to the person who hears it. Am I right? Am I the only one that needs to get saved here? Or, right? Don't we all feel that way at times? Somebody says something to you and you want to punch them in the throat, right? And you're like, mm, in the name of Jesus, right? It's okay if it's in the name of Jesus. <laughs> and you're frustrated and you don't feel like giving a word that builds up because they've wronged you, because they've lied about you, because they've mistreated you. But there's no equivocation. Paul doesn't say, it's okay to trash people unless or if. He just says, don't trash people. In fact, not only don't say bad things, but say good things. Build up, edify, because this is the thing. <clears throat> when we gossip about somebody, sometimes it will get back to them and sometimes they'll hear it. A lot of times they don't. Does it hurt them if we gossip about them? Well, yeah, I mean, yes, probably a little bit, but ultimately when somebody gossips about me, it doesn't really hurt me. You know who it hurts? The person who's gossiping and the person who is listening. That's why it's so important at the very end of this, it says that it may give grace to those who hear. Because when we are talking about someone to somebody else and, and, and we say, come, uh, come up here, Eric. Oh, you didn't know you're gonna be called on stage. But Eric, hey man, uh, listen. I need to tell you about Pastor Josh. Um, and he's big, but did you know that under his clothes, it's all inflatable? Like, he's not even real muscle. It's like a blow-up <laughs> muscles in there. I did not know and that. he really, he can't, even, he can't even bench the bar. Did you know that? And I, know. and I heard that he hates old people and children and kicks puppies. Did you know that? <laughs> okay, now, stay right here for a second. Now, what that does is it doesn't impact Josh. Josh is going to go about his business. Josh doesn't care, but what it does is it tells something to Eric. It speaks to him about what I believe. It speaks to him, and, and if I claim to be a Christian, it speaks to him about my God as well. Now, now let's flip this around. What if we eliminate the corrupting talk and only, and we use that filter from Ephesians to only use language that builds up and that gives grace? And I say, you know what? Let me, let me tell you about Pastor Josh. 
Man, that guy loves teenagers like crazy. Man, he, is, he will selflessly care for kids and he goes and takes care of them. And, and he, man, he takes care of his wife like she's a princess and it's crazy. And man, this is, let me tell you about how good he is and how much he loves God. That totally changes things, doesn't it? Because again, I'm communicating something about what I believe. I'm communicating something about my God and now I'm building up, I'm edifying. I'm speaking to him about something. We're setting boundaries on what is acceptable, what we can talk about, what we can't talk about. Does that make sense? And it's a totally different ballgame. Thank you, Eric, appreciate you. That guy's a great guy. If you wanna know more about him, I'll tell you about the real stuff about him later though, so. <laughs> but that's, that's how this should work. Why? Because when I tell someone else about Josh, it's giving grace to them. It's, it's helping them be edified and encouraged. They walk away from that going, man, you know what? I love Josh. Man, I, no, that's, he's so encouraging. And man, you know what? God is so good. And that's ultimately what this is about. Because at the end of the day, our words either build up or they tear down. They're either give life or they bring death. In James chapter three, verse seven, it says this, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. That's strong language, isn't it? No one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. When I read, read this verse, uh, I was thinking about a... Um, a YouTube video I'd seen, very sophisticated YouTube video. And this video was of this guy and he was feeding snakes. First of all, I, I hate snakes a lot. I know I'm supposed to use edifying language, um, but man, I, I, snakes freak me out a little bit. Like I don't have bad dreams about snakes, but you know, people go, oh, don't kill it, it's a good snake. And I go, no, it's not a good snake till after I kill it. That's a good snake, right? Like, no thank you. We will sort out the rodent problem later. I'm killing the snakes right now, right? So I hate snakes. In this video I'm watching, it's this guy, and this guy is feeding all these cobras. And you don't know that they're cobras, but there's a shelf of Rubbermaid tubs, and in each of these Rubbermaid tubs is a cobra. Okay, not a rubber snake, a real live cobra that can kill you. And so he's getting like with this long pincher thing, he's picking up this like dead animal, like a rat or something, and he's opening the Rubbermaid tub and putting it in and closing the tub. But before you know it, he opens one and the snake pops up. It goes, like pops up and he's staring at it. Like from here to here, staring at the snake, looking at him. And at that point, just the anxiety was like, oh, like, oh my gosh. And so the snake comes out of the Rubbermaid tub. First of all, I'm like, what are you doing? He's in a Rubbermaid tub. Like I would lock it up in like titanium box and you know, airtight, I don't care. Like no way that snake's getting out. So the snake gets out and it's like trying to strike at him. And this guy becomes like a contortionist, like Cirque du Soleil. And he is like avoiding and he's moving. And I find myself watching the video moving for the guy. Have you ever done that? And you're like, whoa, watch out, whoa, ah. Like I'm, I'm sitting in my office going, whoa, no, move, ooh. It's ridiculous. I'm, I'm got anxiety for this guy and this guy is wearing like cutoffs and a t-shirt. It's like, what are you doing, man? You're handling deadly poisonous snakes. These things can kill you and you're wearing cutoffs and a t-shirt you got at a team building event last year, right? Like, come on, man. I would be wearing like a suit of armor and I'm not exaggerating. Like I would look like a medieval knight ready to joust the vipers, right? Like there's no way I'm touching these snakes. But here he is, he was very comfortable with these snakes. He was used to them. He wasn't wearing a costume or an outfit. Have you ever seen movies uh, where like, 
some plague or contagion has fallen on a city and the CDC shows up, the Centers for Disease Control shows up, and when they do, they, they roll in in these hazmat suits. There's these big costumes, ye- like yellow with a visor. They look like space aliens. Are, like, you know, the whole thing. It looks like I'm going, like, I would wear that to go to the all-you-can-eat barbecue buffet at the Sizzler, you know? Like, we're taking care of business here. So they, they roll in in these suits. Why are they doing that? because they recognize the fact that they're dealing with a pathogen that's deadly, that's serious, and they do not want contamination. They don't wanna catch it, so they, they prepare appropriately to handle something that's deadly. And this is what we have to understand. What James is saying is our words have value and weight and power, and at times they can be deadly. And if we truly understood how powerful our words are, we would handle them with more care. We would be less like the guy in the cutoffs and the t-shirt and we'd be more like the guy in the hazmat suit. And if we handled our words more like that, there would be less damage around us. There'd be less hurt around us. There'd be less cleanup around us. Because every one of us in this room have been the victim of careless thoughts and words, haven't we? Every person in this room has been put down or denigrated, somebody's talked about you, somebody's trashed you, somebody's hurt you. And maybe it was intentional, but maybe not. We've all been the victims of that. We've all felt that. We've all been hurt by words. I'd say probably everyone in this room has also been edified and blessed and helped and encouraged by words as well. Somebody's come alongside you and said, man, you can do it. Man, you, you know what? You're gonna be successful. Man, God's gonna bless you. Man, God's gonna help you. You know what? Just about every little girl that comes through our doors, and this is gonna sound disingenuous now, but almost every little girl that walks through our doors, I'll say, man, you look beautiful today. Man, I love that dress. Why? I wanna bless them. I wanna encourage them. I want them to know somebody thinks they're beautiful and lovely. That's why I do it. It's just to bless them, just to give a little bit of life. And we have the power to do that. Just like we have been hurt and helped by the words around us, we can reciprocate that. We have the ability to fight fire with fire if we want to. We have the ability to to take the battle to them if we want to. Or we can say, you know what? I'm gonna choose to bring life instead of death to this situation. It goes on in verse nine to say, With it, and he's talking about the tongue again. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And and that's so important to understand that, that people, all people, every person, no matter what their background or ethnicity, no matter what their job is, they're made in the likeness of God and therefore have value. So he says, We curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Then he goes on to say, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Again, he's coming back to this idea that that's what the world does. The world will say, hey, let me tell you about Pastor Josh. Um, Man, he's a jerk. But when I see Pastor Josh, I go, man, Josh, you're so great. I love you so much. That's what the world does, right? And James is saying, don't act like the world. Don't think like the world. Don't be like the world. Conform to the idea of who Christ is. Let him shape you. Let him shape your values and your beliefs so that your words can be shaped by him as well. Let your words and your actions line up. He said, you shouldn't 
say one thing and do another. You shouldn't bless somebody and bless God and then curse someone else with the same mouth. That's not how this should work. And he goes on to say in verse 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? And the answer is no, it can't. A spring has one water that's coming out. It's either fresh or it's salty. He goes on to say, can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? And the answer obviously for all those is no. And he goes on to say, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Again, what he's saying is what is in us comes out of us. At the end of the day, we don't have problems with our words. We've got problems with our hearts. And we need to submit our hearts to God and say, God, I need your help. God, my words are not bringing life. My words are tearing down. God, my words are like a fire. Instead of, instead of uh, bringing light and warmth and light to a home, my words are setting a forest ablaze. And it's not about the words, it's about our heart. In Proverbs chapter four, verse 23 and 24 from the message version, it says this, says, keep vigilant watch over your heart. That's where life starts. It goes on to say, don't talk out of both sides of your mouth. Avoid careless banter, white lies, and gossip. See, I love how the writer of Proverbs says in verse 24, hey, watch what you say. Don't gossip, don't tell lies. Don't, don't be saying all kinds of foolishness. But he began with the statement, guard your heart, for that's where life starts. I tell our staff regularly, it does not matter how we perform as a church or as a staff. It does not matter how well people like us. It does not matter how big the numbers are. It does not matter uh, how slick our productions are. None of that stuff matters if our heart is wrong. If, if my walk with Christ is not growing and healthy and vibrant, everything else will fall apart. It does not make a difference. Everything in my life rises and falls on my relationship with Christ. I'm a better husband when I'm, my walk with Christ is healthy. I'm a better boss, I'm a better dad, I'm a better pastor. I have a higher capacity to love and take care of people when I'm walking in a healthy way with Christ. It all comes back to my heart. And the same is true for you as well. It all comes back to your heart. You're having trouble in relationships? You're having trouble getting along with the people around you? You're having trouble guarding your words? You keep saying things and thinking, why did I say that? Why would I say that? That's not who I am. It is who you are. That's in your heart. So what we need to do is confront our hearts. It's not about just manipulating our behavior and controlling it and go, okay, I've got to stop saying. No, it's about saying, God, you have my heart. I need you to work it and I need you to help it. Because what comes out of us is a reflection of what's in us. There are two large, well-known bodies of water in the nation of Israel. And you've heard of both of them but they're both fed from the Jordan River. And in the first, the Jordan flows into this body of water and this body is teeming with life. Uh, there are fish and because there are fish and other life in the ocean or in that body of water, um, there are birds that make nests in the trees along its shores. And those birds uh, feed on what they find on the shore and they feed on the, the, the fish in the sea. And there are people who fish out of that sea as well. They, they um, make a living and they, they earn a living on what they get out and they eat what they get. And there are people that live on the shore and nearby. There are people that will take their kids to play there. It is teeming with life. 
And as the Jordan River flows out of this body of water, it flows into another body of water further downstream. And as the elevation goes down, it descends to a point that the flow terminates in this body. And when it does, uh, there is no life at this point. There is no fish in this body of water. There are no birds that are around. There are no trees growing nearby. People are not building homes on its shore. People aren't vacationing there and playing there. There's not a lot of life there. One of the reasons is there is no flow out of that body of water. See, in that first body of water, the Jordan River flows into it and every drop of water that flows into the Jordan River uh, flows in from the Jordan River, another drop flows out. So there's an equal flow in and out of that first body of water. See, the Sea of Galilee is full of life. And one of the reasons is because it gives out life. But when you get downstream just a little further, you end up at the Dead Sea. And at the Dead Sea, nothing lives. There's too, it's too salty, it's too low in elevation. And as a result, nothing flows out of it. The only thing that's produced there is salt. Nothing can live. At the end of the day, we are like these two bodies of water. We either have life flowing out of us or there's death. And we have a choice to make. The words we speak can bring life or they bring death. They can bring a blessing or they can bring a curse. And we have a choice to make. But really, our choice isn't what words are we gonna speak. The choice is, God, will you help the condition of my heart? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we're thankful that you love us. And Lord, you didn't just love us in word, but you loved us in deed as well. You sent your son for us. And your love drove you to do something. And so God, thank you that your love for us is, um, is not merited. We didn't deserve it. We don't act good enough. We don't behave well enough. You love us in an unmerited, un, undeserved way. And we're grateful for that. God, I thank you that, Lord, this body is, is unified. Lord, we by and large love each other and care for each other well. But God, I pray that you would speak into our hearts. Lord, every one of us have room for growth. Lord, every one of us needs you more. So I pray today, none of us would be satisfied with where we are. None of us would be apathetic about growth and about change. So God, I pray today you'd speak to each of us. Have your way among us. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, Mel, you know what? Um, some of what you said really made sense to me and I, I struggle with some of the words I say, but I, I don't just need to change my words. I really need to change my heart. And the truth is I'm not walking with God. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. And I, I, want it, I want some things in my life to be better, but I know at the end of the day, it all comes back to my heart. And my heart's not right with God. If you're here today and that's you, I wanna give you an opportunity to get right with the Lord. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna make you come forward. I just wanna pray with you right where you're at. So if you're here today and you say, Mel, I need, to, I need to get right with the Lord. I need my heart to be right with Him. And I'm ready to begin that journey today or I'm ready to restart that journey today. If that's you, would you be bold enough just to slip your hand up real high and let me see it so I can pray with you? Thanks, over here on my far right. Thank you, ma'am, on my right. 
Thank you down here in the center section, ma'am. Thank you, a couple hands over here on my left. Thank you, ma'am, in the back by the camera. Thank you, sir, you can put your hands down. Praise God. Who else? Thank you, over here on my left. Thank you, up in the balcony. Yeah, three hands up there. Thank you so much. Praise God. Who else would join these and say, pray for me, Mel. I've got some issues, but at the end of the day, my heart is just not right. I need my heart to be right with God. Yeah, thank you. All right. I want every person in this place to say this really simple prayer with me. Whether you raised your hand or not, I want you to say it out loud. I want you to say it boldly with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me and thank you for saving me. Thank you for paying the price for my sin on the cross. Today, I am yours and I am new. The old me is gone. I'm never going back to my old ways or my old life. Today, I am new and today, I am yours. Thank you for saving me. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, come on, let's celebrate that together today. Thank you, Jesus. Now listen, if you made that decision, you raised your hand, you prayed that prayer, you prayed it with your mouth, you meant it in your heart, uh, scripture tells us you're a new creation. Now, we wanna help you on your journey. It's hard, it's not easy living a Christian lifestyle. It's hard, so we wanna help you with that. Um, but I want you to know something, we're so proud of you. I'm so excited for you. I'm so excited about your journey and what God's doing in your heart and your life and we wanna help you with it because it's hard. So this is what I want you to do. There's a card like this one in the seat back in front of you. Take just a moment, fill this card out. This is salvation rededication. Let us know about your decision. Because what we're gonna do is we're gonna contact you in the next couple of days. We're gonna get you some resources and help you understand how to begin to grow in your faith. We wanna help you do that. We wanna make disciples here. We wanna help you live a wildly successful Christian life. We wanna help you with that. So let us help you by filling this card out. We'll help you take the next step. This is what's gonna happen right now. The worship team's gonna lead us in one final song. As they do, our prayer team is gonna be available on either side of the stage. If you need prayer for any reason, no matter what it might be, we believe our God is a big God and he can help you. He can help you overcome any situation you're facing. So if you need prayer for any reason, as they begin to sing, step out from your seat, find one of our prayer team members, let them pray with you about whatever might be going on in your life. Uh, don't forget tonight is our night of worship and we're gonna be having a groundbreaking. It's gonna be a great evening. Be back here at 6.30. Bring your lawn chairs, your, your, your blankets. Uh, we're gonna have a great time. So don't forget about that. I'd love to see you tonight. But uh, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. We'll worship together one more time before Pastor Todd dismisses us. Guys, I tell you often, but I want you to know this. I love you more than you know. And I'm so honored that I get to be your pastor. God bless you. We'll see you this evening. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To watch this message on video, go to summittogether.com.